morning, we want to look specifically at this um, this person, really Barabbas, and the stories surrounding him here. And it, it's interesting because I think probably all of us, and especially those of us that are Christians, you know, committed to Christ and the gospel, we look at this story and we think, you know, how did these people choose this guy Barabbas over Jesus? What were they thinking? And yet the truth of the matter is Barabbas was much more appealing to them than was Jesus if we understand their their mindset in regard to the Messiah. Now, we look at Barabbas and we think, wow, this guy, he created a rebellion. Somebody was murdered in the process. He was like a modern-day terrorist leader. And we look at that and we think, how could anybody choose him? But remember, to the average person, Barabbas was a hero because he was fighting against the despised Romans. He was fighting against that oppressive nation that was infringing on the rights of God's people. And they would have seen Barabbas as, you know, he was closer in their minds to what the Messiah would be than was Jesus. Because Jesus, of course, at this point, Jesus, he's, now, now remember, he's in Jerusalem and he's, of course, performed some miracles in and around Jerusalem, but most of his ministry has been up in Galilee. And so they hear these things that he's, well, he's healed some people and he's given sight to the blind and, you know, he's done these different things, but that's not, that's not helping our problem with Rome. And as a matter of fact, not only was Jesus not uh, raising up a, a military force to fight against the Romans, he was teaching against that approach. So if you think about it, when Pilate offered them the choice between Jesus, who was called the Messiah, and Barabbas, and, and of course, because of the instigation of some in the crowd, they thought, well, of course, we, we, we want Barabbas. He can, he can do what we need to have done. He can fight against the Romans. And man, if he's free, then there's a greater possibility that that he's going to be able to continue his campaign and perhaps one day we will be delivered. That was the mentality. But, of course, it was the completely wrong mentality. But it, but it was a mentality that Peter himself even expressed when Jesus told him uh, that, earlier we, re, we read about it, where uh, Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to go he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be crucified and so forth. And remember, Peter said, never, no way. That's never going to happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So Peter, he, his idea about the Messiah was really the same as the people that were uh, wanting the, the liberation of um, Barabbas. Now, that's kind of the, the setting but what we need to see here with Barabbas and the angle that I want us to look at today is that Barabbas is really a parable of the gospel. He himself 
is he's like an embodiment in, in a sense of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. He becomes a living illustration and the situation becomes a living illustration of those many passages in scripture that speak of the innocent dying in the place of the guilty or of the just one dying in the place of the unjust ones. And we see that spelled out most clearly in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Some of you are familiar with that 53rd chapter. That is the, the chapter that has been referred to as, uh, it, it deals with the suffering servant. But let me read to you some, some statements from Isaiah 53, and you can see clearly what we're talking about here. So it says in Isaiah 53 uh, that he was wounded, speaking of this servant of the Lord. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So you see God laying the sins of the people upon his servant. And then it says, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So this was the prophecy. This, is, this was that side of the messianic prophecy that the people just neglected or, or even refused to consider because, like I said, uh, the, the messianic ideal was a king, a savior, a deliverer, uh, somebody like David, somebody even greater than David, who's going to bring Israel back to um, the height of power. But Isaiah 53 said something different. And so this is what we see happening here. Now, in the New Testament, we come to that great passage in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where the same thing is stated that is there in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And let me read to you that passage. And it says this, For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be the sin offering for us, that we might become the righteousness that God requires or the righteousness that God will accept in him. So you see, God made Jesus the sin offering so that we who are the sinners could be made righteous in him. And again, that's the story that we read here. This is the story of Barabbas. And that's why I said he is, uh, his life is a parable. And especially this event in his life. This is a parable of the gospel. This is, this is the gospel. This is what it is. A guilty man, an evil man, a wicked man. Is set free. A righteous, holy, and a just man is condemned. This passage has been called uh, the great exchange. 
And it's the exchange of the life of Christ given for our lives. His life for our life. You know, uh, one of my favorite films is a a film called Man on Fire. And um, some of you men probably like that film too. Um, and, And what's great about the film... Denzel Washington is great because he's a great actor. But uh, what's great about the film is it's, it's a film that is like a justice film. And, you know, it's one of those things where there's really, really bad, bad people. And there's one guy who uh, brings justice to the whole situation. And in the film, his name is John Greasy. And he's... Greasy. And, and he's... Um, He's like a kind of a washed up assassin and uh, he gets hired to protect uh, a little girl. Dakota Fanning was the little girl at the time and she gets kidnapped under his watch. And so the whole movie is about how he goes to, to free her. And now, you know, there's some language in it and also I'm not recommending you go home and watch it. I mean, you can if you want, but don't say the pastor told me to watch this. And then you're like, my goodness, that, that, did you hear those words? The pastor, oh, okay. (laughs) If you watch it, you're responsible for it. Okay. I've watched it five times. I I think it's great. (laughs) But here's the greatest moment in the film. It's at the very end. And he's basically dealt with all the really, really bad people. But the one guy, the worst guy of all, the guy who's responsible for the kidnapping, um, you know, this is, this is the point where he's going to get this guy. But now this guy wants to get him too because they hate him because he's taken out all of their key people. And so he strikes a deal with Denzel Creasy. And this is what he says to him. So he's got the girl. Denzel Washington wants the girl, and he says this. He says, your life in exchange for hers. You give your life, and we'll give you hers. And he does. And that's, you know, it's pretty amazing. And another part of the film, just just so you know, there's some really great biblical stuff in it. I mean, it's a redemptive film, and John Creasy in the film, uh, Denzel Washington, he's like a guy who's kind of a backslidden Christian. And he's trying to sort of find his way back to the Lord. So, um, so that sort of justifies all the other bad stuff in it. So, <laughs> Anyway. But that your life in exchange for hers. That's what this is about. His life. In exchange for ours. That's what happened. And that's what happened with Barabbas. Now again. Let's just think about it. From the, the standpoint of reality. Now I, I, you know, I talked a minute ago. About how people would have thought. Barabbas. You know, he sounds like a, a pretty <laughs> promising guy. Because he can overthrow the Romans. But let's think about who he really was. Uh, but first of all, let's think about who Jesus really was and what Jesus did. So, so with Jesus, you had a person who had only gone about doing good. That was the reputation of Jesus. He had gone about doing good. He was healing those who were oppressed by the devil. 
He caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the maimed to be made whole, the lepers to be cleansed. He fed uh, the multitudes. He delivered people from demonic possession and oppression. Uh, The dead were brought back to life. And sinners were bid to come freely and receive mercy and grace. So that's that's Jesus. And these are the two people that... The, you know, Pilate is giving the choice. Who do, who do you want? The other, Barabbas, we've already seen a little bit, but he's a notorious criminal. Now, this guy is a criminal. He, like I said, he's like the leader of a terrorist organization. And he has uh, raised up an insurrection, a revolt against the authorities. And he's committed murder in the process. And so I think we can safely say by just looking at the reality, one man, Jesus, is righteous, the other man is evil. Now, it's interesting, if you have an NIV, uh, and if you read the story of Barabbas and Matthew, now Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have this story, but in Matthew's gospel in the NIV, it's interesting because uh, Barabbas has a first name in um, Matthew, And it's Jesus. So the question is, Pilate is presenting to the people, who will you choose, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? Now there's scholarly debate as to whether that's really a valid translation. There is one ancient manuscript that does have Jesus uh, Barabbas in it. And because of that, uh, scholars say, well... um, you know, it got there somehow. And, and then they also say, in, in support of, of this actually being the first name of Barabbas, that um, it makes sense because uh, Pilate distinguishes Jesus by Jesus the Christ or the Messiah. So if it was just a choice between Barabbas or Jesus, why not just say, who do you want, Barabbas or do you want Jesus? But if it's Jesus Barabbas and Jesus the Messiah, so they argue and say it makes sense and that's why it's in the NIV um, translation of Matthew. Now, I don't know. I, I can't even begin to say with any kind of certainty that that should be translated that way. But, but think about it. It is interesting. If that was his name, because there's, in, in a sense, like I said, there's, in, in these two people, There's God's Messiah and God's way, and there's man's Messiah and man's way. And, of course, the tragedy is men always choose their way rather than God's way. And that's what we see happening here. We see that this righteous man is actually delivered over to condemnation, and the unrighteous man is set free. Now, as I said, this is a parable. Because Barabbas is really a picture of every one of us. I can say today, I am Barabbas. A righteous man died, so I, a guilty man, could be set free. You could say the same thing. We are all Barabbas. 
we all have sinned. We all have rebelled. We all have, uh, you know, as, as um, Barabbas is an insurrectionist. An insurrectionist is a person who revolts against authority. And we have revolted against God's authority. We've spent our lives doing that. So we are very much like Barabbas. And we very much deserve to be punished. But Jesus was punished in our place. He was delivered up because of our offenses. That's why he died. He died for our offenses. He took our place by dying for the sins that we committed. Now here's the big question. Why? Why allow this? I mean, why Jesus, why, why did he even allow any of this in the first place? Remember, Jesus could have completely liberated himself from this situation. He said to Pilate at one point, because Pilate says, uh, he says, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or release you? I have the power to do that. Jesus said, you actually could have no power against me unless my father had given it to you. So Jesus basically said, actually, Pilate, you don't have any power here. So Jesus could have completely liberated himself from this situation. But he did not do it. And later on when he will finally be hanging on that cross. You remember and we're going to read about it uh, next week. You remember there will be people in the crowd saying to him. If you're really the son of God come down from that cross. He, he saved others they will say. Why, didn't he, why doesn't he save himself? But you see this is the whole point. Had he saved himself, he could not have saved us. And so why did he do what he did? Why did he submit himself to this? Why did he stand by silently, as we read, as the people cried out, crucify him and give us Barabbas. And Pilate says, come on, say something. Defend yourself. Speak up. Why does Jesus remain silent? He remains silent because he's determined to go to the cross because he knows it's the only way that we can be saved. But what was driving him to do it? Well, what was driving him to do it was love. His love for us. And I love the way it it is stated in Revelation chapter 1. It says, um, as John, you know, is communicating praise to the Lord there, It says, now to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's what happened. Because he loved us, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Because he loved us, he gave his life in exchange for ours. That's the great exchange. His life for our lives. And because he gave his life, we, like Barabbas then, have been set free you know this reminds me as well of something that happens in the the Jewish ritual on the day of atonement there was a very interesting thing that happened and I think we're seeing 
here a, a fulfillment of sorts of this. Now, maybe you remember a while back we, were, we talked about the Passover. And we talked about how the Passover was both a looking back to how God delivered Israel from Egypt, but it was looking ahead to how God would um, send this one who would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And, and we talked about how uh, what happened on the cross was a fulfillment of the Passover, the prophecy aspect of the Passover. Now, the Passover was one of seven different feasts that are called the Feast of the Lord, and they're spelled out in Leviticus chapter 23. And the, the redemptive history is all sort of contained in these seven feasts. And the first feast is Passover, and the last feast is Tabernacles. Tabernacles is really like a picture of the kingdom where God is now dwelling with people and we're all together living happily ever after in the kingdom of God. But the sixth one of these feasts is the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was the day that there was uh, a sacrifice that was made and there was blood that was shed and it was poured upon the, uh, the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And this was the day the nation was atoned for. But on that day, there was a really interesting thing that happened. There was a goat whose blood was shed and was sacrificed for sin. But there was a second goat. And this goat was called the scapegoat. Have you heard that term before, scapegoat? We talk about somebody being a scapegoat. That came from the Bible. It was actually William Tyndale who originated that terminology. And so, but here's the interesting thing with the scapegoat. You had these two goats and the priest was to uh, lay his hands upon the goat, the one goat, the sacrificial goat, and he was to confess the sin of the people over the goat. The goat then would be slain and its blood would be taken and poured out in the holy place. The other goat then also had the high priest put his hands upon the head of the goat and confess the sin of the people, transferring the sin of the people onto this goat, but then this goat is driven out into the wilderness and set free. And because all the things that happened to Jesus had some connection back to those rituals, it does seem like that sacrificial goat and the scapegoat are also being worked out in this moment where there's Jesus and there's Barabbas. And the amazing thing is to think Jesus dies for sin and then the one with sin still on them is set free. That's the story. That's our story. Jesus dies so we can be set free. Now, here's something that we should know. Do you know we're always going to be sinners? We're even as redeemed, forgiven God's people, we're always going to be sinners. But what happens is God takes the righteousness of Jesus and he puts it on top of our sin. He covers our sin. 
And so we become the righteousness that God requires through that act of God. But we're still sinners. And that's kind of like the scapegoat. The scapegoat is bearing the sin, but it's set free. And so we, we didn't get set free because we suddenly became righteous. It wasn't that that liberated me from the bondage to sin. I'm still a sinner. It was what Christ did that set me free. And now his righteousness is a righteousness that begins to overtake that unrighteousness in my life. But it does seem that this is probably pointing back to the sacrificial goat and to the scapegoat. Barabbas becomes a picture of the scapegoat. Now, one other thing about Barabbas that's really quite fascinating. Barabbas, his name is made up of two Aramaic words. And sometimes if you're reading an older translation, I think mostly the older translations, they will, you'll find the word bar many times. Simon Bar-Jonah. If you have a King James version, that's how Peter's referred to, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son. I think most of us, if we think about it, we will automatically know what Abba means. Abba means father, Remember? So the name of this man is son of the father. How interesting is that? Son of the father. Now some people have said, yes, he's the son of the father, the devil. Because Jesus spoke about some people being, you know, you are the son of your father, the devil. But I don't think it's a reference to that. What I think it's really a reference to, and, and in the Bible, names mean something. You know, today we name people, uh, we name our kids, just a name that we like. That doesn't matter what it means. It's just, I like this name, so um, we name them that. And then they find out what their name means. They're like, why did you name me that? <laughs> My daughter, Kelsey, her name means from the ship aisle. <laughs> She's not from the ship aisle, but we like the name Kelsey, so we named her that. But in the Bible, the names were given in hope of the character and, uh, you know, the, the life and the future of the child. So no doubt the parents of Barabbas wanted him to be a son of the father. They wanted him to be a, a believer, a follower of God. More than likely. Now, I can't say for sure that there's a connection to this, but I think it is possible because what we can put together here is that, you see, it was through the act of of Jesus that sinners can become sons and daughters of the Father. And so again, Barabbas becomes like an example. He becomes a type. He becomes a parable. He becomes a story of this is how things happen. How does one become a son of the Father? How does one become a daughter of the Father? Through what the one and only Son of God did on the cross. 
And so again, I can't prove that's the case, but it seems to me that it very well could be. Because again, it's through what Jesus did on the cross by taking our place, by dying the just for the unjust, that we can become the children of God. And perhaps Barabbas is a parable of the gospel more than we've even known. That in his very name, he's a parable of the gospel. Now finally... The beautiful thing about this story is that it reminds us that regardless of the depth to which we have sunk in our sin and depravity, no one's gone so deep that the love of Christ cannot reach them. No one's gone so deep. There's no point where the love and the sacrifice and the blood of Christ would not provide atonement for us. You know, um, before I left for my trip, we did a conference here with um, Dr. Lennox and the different things that happened. And I was speaking at that conference on, um, they assigned me a, a, a topic, Jesus, the ultimate game changer. And I just use that title to talk about how Jesus has changed the game for all those that have met him. And I was, I was talking about how, you know, Jesus, his impact on, um, you know, culture, society, civilization, you know, all of those things. But then coming down more specifically to the impact of Jesus on individual lives. Because, of course, that's how cultures and civilizations are impacted. They're impacted because people's lives are impacted. But I was sharing about how, how Christ can take the chief of sinners... And make that person a son or a daughter of God. And completely alter their lives. Completely turn their lives around. And I I told this story. And I hope I didn't tell it at church on Sunday. Because then I'd be telling it again. And that's a bad sign when you keep start repeating yourself. (laughs) It means you're getting old. And uh, but... I was out at our conference center in Marietta and there was a man that was there and he was doing some work around the conference center. And I, and I know this person and actually I didn't realize that he still worked there. I thought he kind of moved on to something else. But I saw him and we had a great exchange and it was wonderful and just such a loving, you know, just a great, great man. Uh, just in the sense of the love of Jesus and the joy of the Lord and all of that. You know, he's cleaning the bathroom, basically. But he just was doing it with all kinds of joy. And the thing that filled my heart with joy and amazement, and I know his story, but I thought about it when he walked away, that man spent 40 years in prison for murder. And he came to Christ in prison. And... He served 40 years and he was released. And and man, he's just been, you know, since his release, he's just been serving Jesus and rejoicing all the way. And I thought, wow, Lord, you're so amazing that you do this, that you take people 
And however deep they've sunken into the pit of sin and corruption and wickedness and all of those things. You know, it's, it's just amazing what God does. And Barabbas is just a reminder. He's a parable of the gospel. Jesus dies so sinners can be set free. He gives his life in exchange for our lives. And it never ceases to amaze me. The wonder of this. And for you today, um, many of you know that. I'm trusting probably most of you know that. But maybe some of you have not realized that. Maybe some of you have even thought, I don't think Christ can forgive me. Because of the things that I've done. You don't know where I've been and what I've done. No, I don't know. But God knows and he loves you. Jesus knew everything about all of us when he went to the cross. It didn't stop him from going to the cross. Because God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners and while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Just like on that day, he died for Barabbas. Whether or not Barabbas ever received that, nobody knows. But he could have. Because in even a deeper sense than was seen on the surface, Jesus was giving his life in exchange for the life of this man. And so that's the gospel. Barabbas is a parable. Of the gospel and how we thank God for that good news. Lord, we thank you that we're reminded once again of your great love and the extent that you were willing to go to to bring us to yourself. And Lord, that you would give your life in exchange for our lives when there was nothing in us that would merit that. Lord, you did it out of love and how we thank you. So, Lord, may we just see the gospel more clearly. May new dimensions of it open up to us. May we find ourselves rejoicing more deeply over your goodness and Lord may we find ourselves yielding and surrendering more thoroughly to you because of your goodness and because of all that you did for us and Lord I just would pray finally for if there's anyone that's with us today that has not met you the one who gave your life in exchange for theirs Lord I pray that they would meet you today that they would come out of the prison house of sin and be set free through what you did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.